You're going to get a good job. This is really smart for you. And I said, but I'm not happy. Now, Anne had seen the ways of the world. She was older. And for me at that time, she was probably in her late 50s. And, and she was trying to help me out. But I couldn't see what she saw. All I saw was me suffering, taking classes that I didn't really like to take. And then I just put the chips on the table and I said, Anne, tell me, where does this lead to? Inside Yoga, place where we go, inside. Welcome back to Inside Yoga. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for adding this sound vibration to your day, no matter whatever it may be that you're doing. If you're in a cafe, if you're walking through the city, if you're driving in your car, or if you're just sitting down to listen, I'm very, very grateful and so thankful for your encouragement. We're going to be discussing today a topic that we discussed in our Sunday morning class. Every Sunday at 9 a.m., we have a class we call it TTF, Teachers, Teachings, and Friends. And in essence, this Teachers, Teachings, and Friends is a place where we get together and we take the teachings, the sacred teachings, we discuss amongst teachers and friends how to make decisions and where's the direction of our life headed. It's something that's very dear to my heart because decision-making is vital. Even more important than decision-making is asking the right questions. That is one of the biggest parts of making a decision is asking the right questions. There was a Harvard professor who said that questions are places in the mind where answers fit. I just thought that's so good. If you ask the right question, when the answer comes, it's going to fit. If you don't ask the question, even answers can be coming at you. Left, right, and center, you can be bombarded with answers. But if you haven't asked the question, they don't hit. Today, we're going to discuss what is it like to ask the right questions to make the right decisions. I'm going to start with an example of mine. When I was in college or getting recruited to go to college, I went to a technical college. It was called Michigan Technological University, and I was recruited not for my brains and not really for my brawn, but for my basketball. I was recruited to play basketball. And one of the reasons why I signed up to play at this school is because they had a great department. They had a film department. That's what I thought I was going to get myself into. So I signed up. I signed on the dotted line. And when I arrived at the school, they told me, oh, sorry, we've <laughs> we basically lost our main film teacher and you're going to have to pick another major. So I didn't think about the impact that this would have on me, and I just thought, I'm here to play basketball. Uh, just whatever you think is best. And so I signed up for a major called STC, Scientific and Technical Communication. And I did that for two years, and really I just played basketball, and I took the required courses. And then after two years, I realized I'm spending a lot of time at the computer, I'm not even that happy in what I'm doing. What did, I, what did I sign up for again? What is this all about? And I went to my guidance counselor. I never forget. Her name was Anne. I could say her last name because I remember it so clearly. And I walked into her office. And me and Anne are sitting down together. I said, Anne, I'm stressed. I'm having a difficult time here. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to continue on this path? And she said, yes. You're going to get a good job. This is really smart for you. And I said, but I'm not happy. 
Now, Anne had seen the ways of the world. She was older. And for me at that time, she was probably in her late 50s. And, and she was trying to help me out. But I couldn't see what she saw. All I saw was me suffering, taking classes that I didn't really like to take. And then I just put the chips on the table and I said, Anne, tell me, where does this lead to? It was a good question. Where does this lead to? What do I end up being? And she looked at me very happy with a bright smile. And she said, well, a lot of our graduates, they end up working at companies like John Deere. And they write, they write manuals on lawnmowers. Excuse me? Yeah, they write manuals on lawnmowers. If you tell a 21-year-old that your life's purpose is writing lawnmower manuals, you're not going to get a good response. I couldn't see the impact that it would have on me. I didn't. I just said no. There was a big no inside of my mind and my heart. This is not good. I do not want this. I'm done. I'm switching majors. And then I joined what most people who don't know what their major is, a liberal arts degree. And I got my liberal arts degree, and practically speaking, let's be honest, it was useless. I was able to substitute teach because I had a a bachelor's degree, but other than that, I've never used my liberal arts degree. I can't remember any Shakespeare. I don't remember the stuff that I even studied. The filter that I had to make that that decision at that time was very simple, though. It was a a filter that said, am I liking this or am I not liking it? It wasn't a long-term filter. Anne had a different filter. I couldn't see the filter that she was seeing through. She couldn't see what I was seeing. So how do you make these bigger decisions? We all have these ways that we make bigger decisions. Do we ask the right questions? I asked a good question. What does this lead to? And that's something I always say on the spiritual path, that you have to ask that question. Where does this go and how do I get there? Well, where does this go, Anne? It goes to making lawnmower manuals. How do I get there? I keep taking classes I don't like. No, thank you. I'm switching. But I didn't see the long-term impact of that. To get a degree that you can't really do anything with had an impact in my life. Now, it led me to a life of seeking and searching, for sure. But it also led to a life of hustling, meaning getting gigs here and there, not having a nine-to-five. There's impacts with what we do. And here's the thing. When we make decisions, nobody thinks through all of the ramifications. And here's the thing. Anne asked some very good questions, but I didn't want to hear them. Because as soon as she said lawnmower manual, I turned off. I was done with it. She asked some very well-placed, some very appropriately timed. I was in a moment of crisis and some very thought-provoking questions. Well, what are you going to do with yourself? Well, what is your job career going to be like? What, what direction do you want to go? But it was such a burden to me to hear these questions because I already made a decision. I'm not writing lawnmower manuals. She didn't broaden the scope beyond my mind of what I could actually understand I could do with this. And now the interesting thing is I look back and I think, man, I I could have stuck with that. I love writing. I love making information succinct. I love making stuff that seems very difficult to understand, very clear. This is what I like to do. Maybe I could have been really good with this degree. Maybe I could have engaged in the world in this way. Maybe I could have learned a certain skill set. 
But the questions she was asking me were such a burden because I already made my decision. And let's be honest, we do this all the time. We've bought into every decision that we've ever made because we have a faulty filter and we don't want to listen to other people's advice at that time, especially when we made a decision. Here's our filter. And here was my filter at the time. This is as, this is as purificating, purificating, <laughs> is that a word, purificating? This is my purification system at that time. Will it make me happy? Will I like this? That's it. That was the only test that it had. Will this make me happy? Will I like this? Some of us might have a little bit deeper filter. We might think, well, if I do this, was it going to hurt anybody? Or maybe if we're going to do something that we're not so sure, you say, is anybody going to find out about this? So what's interesting is if we look at these filters and we look at the way that we reject a lot of advice or good questions, we see that we actually planned for our suffering. We were in cahoots with our suffering or in cahoots with our decisions. Because nobody wakes up and says, hey, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plan a bad day. But we actually do. We do it through a series of uneducated filters, a series of uneducated decisions that we make, these small decisions. Nobody plans on getting a divorce. Nobody gets married to get a divorce. Nobody plans on having kids that are disconnected. Nobody plans on getting addicted to anything. But guess what? That's on the tail end of a lot of bad decisions, a lot of little micro decisions that we make, all of those. For instance, let's use the example of a house. You buy a house and you can't pay for it. You buy a house and you got to sign a bunch of documents that are there. There's so many different documents that you have to sign and you're writing your name over and over and over again and you're thinking, should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? And every single time you're doing that, you're thinking, um, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And then when you finally get the house, you're happy for a few days and then you're crushed under the burden of this loan. It's the same thing when you sign your life away to go to university and you have a huge student loan that's there. You have to sign your name so many times. Or in your relationship. Nobody plans for these things to break apart, but you see there's so much incompatibility, isn't there? All right, right off the bat, you see, oh man, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about this. But because we've already made a decision, we just keep going through over and over and over again. Or maybe you get burnt out from your job. You didn't plan on that, but there was so many warning signs. So many warning signs. You're not sleeping. You're, you're, you're not eating properly. You're under stress constantly. And you, that voice that's telling you to do something different is just getting quieter and quieter and quieter. And another one last example that's coming to my mind is when you fall asleep at night and you, you have your phone in your hand. Your phone's in your hand and you're just hoping that this phone dies because you just can't stop scrolling. Nobody plans on that. Nobody plans on staying up way past their quote unquote bedtime, but we do it because we made a bunch of different little mini decisions and we talked ourselves into it. And this is something that I've seen, especially counseling and teaching over the years is that everybody deals with three different things. We talk ourselves into three different things. We talk ourselves into purchases. We talk ourselves <clears throat> into 
relationships. We talk ourselves into opportunities over and over again. And why do we do that? Because there's this time factor that's there. Remember, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, time I am. Time I am, it pushes on us. And when that time pushes on us, we have to make decisions. And this is how marketing, they, they are expert at pushing time on us. Make this decision now. You're going to lose this opportunity to get this house unless, unless you get it this week. Amazon, they thrive on it. One-click shopping. I spent hundreds of dollars, maybe not hundreds, but at least $150 last year during the pandemic on books, on off-the-grid books, and I felt I needed them. Nobody could talk me out of that $150 at that point. I knew it. I needed to learn how to get off the grid. I needed it. But it's not true. A friend, Robert, who's there at the teacher's teachings and friends on Sundays, he said, He's, he always puts things in his Amazon shopping cart and he goes back and he has a list of 200 things that he would never even consider buying. But the impulse gets so strong and you just think, yes. And the mind says, yeah, go for it. And the, and the mind talks you into doing it because we don't have proper filters. And we're telling ourselves these little lies. So where does this come from? Where does it come from? That's what we're leading to. Where does this all come from? comes from the heart. This is why we have to clean the heart. There's a story in the Bible of Jeremiah who's an advisor to kings. He's a great advisor to a few different kings, and, and both of the kings that he advised at that time, long time ago, they all they wanted their own power, they wanted their own position, they wanted to be known like people with power do, and he advised against that. He said, no, just harmonize, cooperate. And they said, no, 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 I'm very powerful. You don't understand. He said, I'd advise against it. And they both went against the higher power. There was, there was kings and then there was mega kings. And they went against the mega king and the mega king said, no. And they shut down both of these kings and they actually, it actually ruined their little mini kingdoms. And Jeremiah said, no, man, told you, told you so. And then he penned this, Phrase, he said, the heart is deceitful above all else. He used that word deceitful. And that's really important word, deceitful. It's different than being dishonest. Because when we're dishonest, we're just going against ourselves. And sometimes people are dishonest, but you can figure out that they're being dishonest. You can understand those things. But when somebody's deceitful, it's really tricky. Because then they're using all kinds of tactics and tricks and they're even lying to themselves. It causes so much problem. It's just so much problem when we deceitful to ourselves. And then we cause so much problem with others. So he says, the heart is deceitful above all else. And then he uses his word, he says, there is no cure. Now we know there is a cure. But you see that the heart is deceitful first. First we have to understand that. When we read the Bhagavad Gita, the whole story of the Bhagavad Gita, it starts with this deceit. It starts with the deceit of the father, Dhritarashtra, who's hearing about how bad his son is, but he cannot stop himself from trying to help his son because he's so attached. Even though he's being deceitful to himself, he knows what he should do and he can't do it. He doesn't have the strength. He has the weakness of heart. That's being deceitful. Duryodhana, his son, has gotten so much good counsel from so many different places, and he's being deceitful to himself. 
but he can't help it because he's got these problems in the heart. The heart is deceitful above all else. And then there's Arjuna. As this gets going, he starts to make all kinds of cases for why he shouldn't fight or why he doesn't have to do this because it's difficult. But luckily Krishna's there and he's saying the same thing. Give up this petty weakness of heart or this deceit of your heart and arise. Come on, get up, Arjuna. Do what you're meant to do. So how do we get rid of this deceitfulness of the heart, this this voice in the heart that makes us do things, that plans our demise, that says, no, 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 these little decisions are good because here's the thing. If you're buying a house that's putting you into a debt, if you're, if you're buying a, a big purchase that's going to sink you more into a financial burden, you've done a lot of little purchases before that. You don't just go from zero to 60. There's all kinds of little things you got in your house that you really don't need. There's all kinds of little gadgets that you really don't need. Before you buy a huge house, you can't just go from zero to 60. You've had little deceits the whole time. So how do we help? We clean the heart. That's what Lord Chaitanya came to bring. Cleansing of the heart. Cheto darpana marginam. Cleaning the heart. That's the Sanskrit word for his verses. Cleansing the heart. And how do you do it? You do it through chanting the holy names. You chant mantra. You chant the holy names. You clean the heart. You reconnect to that same supreme source. And then you ask yourself this hard question. Okay, you ready? Remember, we started good decisions come from really good questions. You start by asking yourself this really hard question before you make any dumb relationships <laughs> go forward, before you make any dumb purchases, before you make any dumb opportunities come your way and you feel the presence of time. You ask yourself the question, very simple. Are you ready for it? Am I being honest with myself? dot, 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 really. Am I being honest with myself, dot, 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 really. You got to ask that last part, really, am I? Then you got to look hard in the mirror. You got to face yourself. You might even ask yourself in person, am I being honest with myself, really? That's a good place to start. That's a great question to start with. When anytime you get involved in any of these different scenarios, ask yourself these questions. Great questions lead to better decisions. Better decisions lead to an impactful, empowered, enlightening life. It's all about our decisions. Regain your free will through meditation. Cleanse the heart through the mantra and the holy names. Let's move forward. Onward and upward. I'm so grateful that you listened. And I hope you have a beautiful day, no matter what comes your way. Namaste. Namaste.